This audio is brought to you by muslimcentral.com. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillah, wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Brothers and sisters in Islam, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Today, insha'Allah, we continue our lessons from the life of our Prophet Ibrahim alayhi salam. Ibrahim alayhi salam from last week, just to recap very quickly. He was born in a city close to Babylonia, in Iraq, today known as Iraq. And he was born to a father by the name of Azar. He has other names. But he was an idol or a statue maker. So he made statues for people to worship. Ibrahim السلام, had a nephew by the name of Lut. He was also a prophet. And don't be amazed that there could be in one particular generation or in a particular time at one moment, in one place, more than one prophet. There were times where there were two or three or four prophets in one time, in one era. At the time of Isa alayhi salam, there was Isa alayhi salam and there was Yahya and there was Zakariya alayhi salam, three in one. Or Musa alayhi salam was with his brother Harun. So don't be surprised if there were four or even five messengers or prophets at one time. Ibrahim was a messenger of Allah. And he is in fact one of the five who are identified as Ulil Azm. Allah mentions in the Quran about Ulil Azm min al Rusul. There are messengers of Allah who are Ulil Azm, meaning those endured with great perseverance. They went through lots of struggle more than the other prophets in relation to their people. Not on a personal level. For example, one might say that Ayyub salam, he went through so much physical struggle within himself in sickness and illness until the point where his meat started to drop off his body. When we talk about Ulil Azm, those who persevered, we are talking about in relation to their perseverance with their people. Ibrahim salam was one of them. This is to show us that da'wah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not always easy. And that the path to Jannah requires a lot of effort. And the more struggle a person does in da'wah and is patient in his path, the more they are deserving of higher degrees in Jannah. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, the person who practices their deen but does not mix with the people in showing this practice. So inviting others, reminding others. And the person who practices his deen and goes out and mixes with the people and advises others and invites others. Between them, the one who invites others and mixes with the people and is patient. He said, وَيَصْبِرُ عَلَىٰ أَذَاهُمْ And is patient with the harm that he receives from the people is far more greater and better 
and virtuous than the one who practices on his own and does not mix with the people and is patient with any of the harm that he receives as a result. Allah mentions in the Quran of a member, members of the children of Israel, Banu Israel. There were some of them who used to see the munkar, they used to see the wrong happening in their society. And they had the ability to go out and remind and call and speak. But they didn't. A group of them sat back, they prayed and fasted and they did their practices, but they didn't do anything more than that. They left it on a very personal level. And then there was a group who saw the munkar, the wrong, and they copied it. So they started to be like them. So they do the munkar with the people and they would also still pray and do some acts of worship. So now we've got two groups. A group of children of Israel who did not participate in the wrong, in the munkar, but they remained by themselves without trying to change anything. And there was a group who did not change anything but rather participated and mixed their deen with the wrong. And then there was a third group, they're in the Qur'an, this story is mentioned in the Qur'an, and there was a group of them, a third group, who practiced their deen and also tried to make a change. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, when He took them all, when they all died, those who participated in the munkar, Allah punished them in hellfire. And those who, made, who tried to make a change, Allah rewarded them with high places of Jannah. The third group is not mentioned. Allah did not even mention them. And when Allah mentions a group in a particular way and then doesn't tell us about the conclusion, we say that their matter is to Allah. We cannot say that they passed or failed. Which one do you want to be? So a mu'min takes the example of Ibrahim alayhi salam from among ulil azm, from a very young age. He was only a teenager. When he began to invite his people and challenge, he challenged the wrong which they believed in. He challenged it, however, with wisdom. He challenged it with wisdom. And when he wanted to change something wrong, he made sure that by changing the wrong, it's not going to lead to something worse. Some people, they make a mistake in when they are trying to change the wrong, the munkar. Changing the munkar, the wrong, is an enormous sunnah. In fact, it is compulsory in certain circumstances. When no one else is doing it, you must try and do it in some way. But, they don't realize that by, if in a, they don't try to think whether by changing a certain wrong, it will lead to a bigger wrong, then they, have, they, would have done, they would have done wrong by trying to change what is already wrong. There was a great scholar of the past, he passed by and he had students, and he saw some people from the Tatar, the Mongols, they were drinking alcohol and they had just embraced Islam. He left them drinking alcohol and getting drunk. And his students asked their Imam, Ya Imam, you saw them doing a munkar, a wrong, but you did not inform them or try to change it. Why, Ya Imam, explain to us. And the Imam said to his students, These people, I know them to be barbaric. We know them before Islam and their habit of barbarism and uh, uh, um, slaughtering and killing and fighting is still in them. So, by changing them from drinking their alcohol and harming themselves, they will harm others. So therefore I saw fit that leave them on this, small, on this munkar rather than doing a bigger munkar. This is the way our scholars taught us. Or you go into someone's home for example, a relative or a friend, 
and you find that they have got a cross in their house or they have the picture of some celebrity hung up they've got uh, Lady Gugu Gaga or uh, Michael Jackson or uh, they've got some other um, all these other rap singers Alhamdulillah I don't know their names I don't want to know but they have their pictures up there and you have just embraced Islam or you've just started your Islam Alhamdulillah new, and you want to and you see that this is wrong so what they did, some people what they do they come and they try to rip it off or they abuse the person who's hung it up they, you cannot do that because it's going, this is not, you're not your property. You haven't got the right to change something where, in a position where you're not allowed to do so. So this is not your property. This is a personal property for someone else. And by trying to do it with your hands, you'll cause a bigger problem. But what you can do is advise with your mouth. The Prophet ﷺ said, Any of this is in Bukhari. Whoever of you sees a wrong, then you should try to change it, first of all, with your hand. Physically. In other words, physically. But if you are unable to change it physically, for some reason, then with your tongue, speak out, advise, admonish, teach. If you are unable to change it with your tongue, then inside your heart. And that is the last resort of your iman. Meaning, to hate it in your heart is the minimum that you must do. It doesn't mean that if you change it with your hand, that's the best way. Nor does it mean to hate it in your heart is the smallest way. What it means is that anywhere between changing it physically or in your tongue or by the heart, whichever one fits the best, then do it. Whichever one fits the best, then do it. If in a circumstance, speaking or changing with your hand will lead to a greater problem, then no, hate it in your heart until you have the opportunity to do so. Remember my son once at his school. He says, Baba, we were forced to play music with flutes and the guitars and everything. We had to sing songs like this. And there were songs of pop music that you hear about today, which obviously I've taught my son that this is wrong. And he's seen their clips, how they dance and sing, and they're almost fully naked. So they bring with you, with them, a demoralized culture that you are to practice with their music. So he couldn't change it. He's just only in grade one. So I said to him, Boba, the best thing you can do at this stage is to hate it in your heart. So hate it in here. He can't change it with his mouth. He can't change it with his hand because he doesn't know how to speak and he doesn't know how to change with his hands. Hate it in your heart and when you're able to, Say, this is haram, I don't want to do, take part in this. There are circumstances like this. Or if you know that a harm is going to be caused upon your brothers or the Muslim community. Once I'm in the Preston Masjid one time, it happens in any masjid, right? And when I was there for a few years, yani, you never know, all types of phone calls you can get. All types of freaks you can have coming to the masjid, the best and the worst. You just don't know who's going to enter. You don't know anyone. One day a man walks in and he's got a huge machete, you know, big knife right on the side of him. And he's got a jacket on. He's got the huge knife and he's walking around with it. Now, this is illegal here, right? So some brothers came up to me and said, Brother, you know, we tried to tell this brother about taking his knife away, but uh, he was about to, you know, sort of take it out on us. He said, okay, all right, just leave him, leave him for a sec. Let him walk in. He walked in, the brother prayed. So I came up to him. And silently and very slowly, 
smiled to him, said, Salaamu Alaikum Wa Alaikum salam hugged him, said, what's your name? Got to know him a little bit, introduced myself. By this time, within about, I'm talking about four or five minutes of getting to know him, my objective was to change what he had because it was going to cause harm to the masjid and to the Muslims. If someone found out with us, and we wanted the police coming in, calling us some kind of uh, violent people. In that moment, five minutes, I discovered that the man wasn't all mentally there. So now you need to try and find out, okay, now he has to have a different approach. The man is not all mentally there. So then I said to him, brother, um, why do you have the knife with you? He said, so I can protect myself. He said, but we'll protect you. He said, the Prophet ﷺ said, you must hold some kind of weapon with you. And he used this hadith about holding a, an arm's length of stick with you or a palm's length of a knife with you. Now that was if, because everybody had weapons in the time of the Prophet ﷺ, you had to have some kind of protection. But here, you didn't need it. So I said to him, first of all, brother, but the knife you have is bigger than a palm. It's like two palms. He said, no, 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 you don't know. I, got, I had a dream about that I'm going to change the world. I said, but brother, aren't you afraid that some of the police may stop you? He said, it's fi sabilillah. I will go to the prison for it. I said, all right. What if they come and they harm the Muslims? He goes, no, 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 no. I don't want to harm the Muslims. I want to protect the Muslims. I said, by you wearing that knife on you, they're going to come and think that we here in the mosque, we, we, we let you do this. And that we, our Muslims, they carry around knives. And they're going to think that we're violent. I said, no, 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 I don't want that. I don't want that. No, no, no. I said, then brother, inshallah, either hide it now and take it home and keep it somewhere. You know, don't keep it outside. And that's when, alhamdulillah, he was convinced. Alhamdulillah, he was convinced. But the point is, sometimes we need to really analyze the situation before changing a munkar or something wrong. If, even if it's halal, even if it's something that is okay to do. But if you know that by doing that halal, it will result in something haram or a harm, no. You stop. I'll give you an example. Yani. You all know of Ammar ibn Yasir radiallahu anhu. Ammar ibn Yasir radiallahu anhu. Ammar was one of those, him and Khabbab radiallahu anhu, they were tortured the most by the Quraysh, by the enemies, by the kuffar of Quraysh. And his mother and father were killed in front of him. When he was tied up and his parents were killed, being killed in front of him, they told him to swear, abuse the Prophet So he abused the Messenger and mentioned their gods in good. He mentioned Hubal in good and abused the Prophet in his absence. His parents were killed in front of him. When they came to find him, the Prophet saw that he was still alive. And after a few days, Ammar ibn Yasir was still sad. And Rasul sallallahu upon seeing him like this, he said to him, Ya Ammar, don't worry, sabran ala yasir, inna mawidakum al-jannah. Be patient, O family of Yasir, your promise is in paradise. They were given the promise of paradise. And he said, your father and mother are the first martyrs of Islam. He said, Ya Rasulullah, it is not that which I am sad about. What I am sad about, and I can't forgive myself, is that I abused you and mentioned their gods in good. And Rasul sallallahu said, how do you find your heart? He said, I find it, I find it uh, satisfied and happy with the belief in Allah and His Messenger and I love them both. He said, Ya Ammar, in a'adu fa'ud. If they return to do the same thing to you, then you return and say the same thing you said. So long as your heart is okay with it. In this circumstance, he prevented the harm to himself in this circumstance by saying what he said, so long as his heart is clear with it. But Bilal radiallahu anhu is the opposite. 
when he was being tortured on the sand, he only had himself to worry about, not his parents or other Muslims around him. He was the only one being tortured. So when they put the rock on his chest in the heat of the sun, and they said to him, mention our gods in good and abuse the Prophet, he said, Ahadun Ahad. God is Allah is only one, Allah is only one. And he said to the Prophet, Ya Rasulullah, Law alimtu kalimatan, tubghiduhum akthar minha laqultaha. If I knew of a word that would make them angrier and hurtful more than that, I would have said worse than that. But this was the most hurtful word to them. To say Allah is one Allah. And Prophet ﷺ was happy about that. This way this, this Sahabi took, and this way this Sahabi took. And Rasul ﷺ said, this is your way and this is your way, and you shouldn't have done it any other way. But uh, changing the munkar is a very deep piece of information. And Ibrahim ﷺ was one of those types. So now we have reached a type where he has proven to the people that what they are worshipping are stones which they carve with their hands. And they worship these stones which they carve with their hands instead of Allah. And when he said to them, why do you worship them? They used to say that there is the spirit form within them. The spiritual form within them, who they represent. They represent uh, spiritual beings. They represent uh, pious men of the past. So we're not really worshipping the statues, they used to say. We are worshipping the form within them that will bring us closer to Allah. But they came and offered to the statues. They spoke to the statues. They called upon the names of the statues. So what did Allah call it? He called it ibadah to them. He called it worship to them. You cannot justify it. Allah says, And if my servants ask you, O Muhammad about me, tell them that I am near, I am close. I will respond to them whenever they call. So we don't need an intercessor. We don't need statues. We don't need the intermediaries. We don't even need the prophets to call upon their names to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because Allah is addressing the Prophet himself and telling him, tell the people to call upon me, not upon the Messenger, for example. Today, and I always re, re, you know, repeat this, and I need to repeat it one more time. We all know that worshipping idols and statues is shirk. It's disbelief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and making partners with Allah. But we still, unfortunately, the Muslim community and society today have still carried certain traditions and customs from Greek theology and Hinduism and Buddhism and other sorts of ancient religions. And we don't even realize that we're committing shirk ourselves. For example, and I've mentioned this many times before, the blue eye that some of our Muslim brothers and sisters wear in the intention that, in the belief that it will protect them from harm. It's a little amulet, blue in color, Either it comes as a little blue ball by itself, very tiny like a, like a pea or something, or they might have it in, glued inside of a gold-shaped or, or an eye-shaped piece of gold. And they wear it around them or they put it on babies when they're born or they, put it on, on, uh, or they hang it up inside their car, for example, or in the door of their house or somewhere in their room, thinking that people who are jealous and people who have envious eyes... I don't know what language I heard the languages. Who, who uses Nazar? Which language? You say Nazar Turkish? What about, I've heard it's also Pakistanis. They use the word Nazar in Indians. So it's a common thing, no, Nazar. Now the Ayn is true. Al Aynu Haqq. Rasul said, evil eye is, is true. But how do you protect yourself from it? Not in this way. Similarly, the people of Ibrahim, السلام, they worship these idols because they wanted them to protect them from harm, protect them from sickness. Protect, because you realized last week what we said, Ibrahim alayhi salam looked into the stars and he said, I am sick. 
So they thought because he's sick, he wanted to stay with the idols so they can heal him. So similarly to their belief, there's no difference between what they believed and people who believed in this Nazar thing. You carve it out with the hand, you buy it and then you wear it. How does that make sense? This, idol, this is an idol. And the Prophet ﷺ said, مَنْ عَلَّقَ تَمِيمَةً فَقَدْ أَشْرَكَ This is in Bukhari and Muslim, this hadith. متفق عليه. No doubt about this hadith. No doubt about its authenticity. Whoever wears a type of amulet, any type of amulet, believing that it will pre- prevent them from harm, then he or she has committed shirk. Yes, bro. Anything, anything, brother. Brother's asking, what if it's a triangle? Anything. If it's a lock of hair. If it's a, I don't know, a piece of diamond, a piece of feather that you found on the street. Some people, they might have a good fortune turning around the corner from their home and they find a feather or a stone and they say, this is my good luck charm. Any kind of charm. Anything. Anything. Okay, the Quran is a little bit different. It's not necessarily shirk. It's not shirk. But we don't have evidence that the Rasul or any of his companions actually um, used the Qur'an itself by writing it and covering it into pieces of leather to prevent themselves. Because the Qur'an was sent down verbally, not in writing. The Qur'an was sent down verbally. And Allah told us, said to Prophet Say, as in say it, I seek refuge in Allah, the Lord of the dawn, from everything which He has created. And from the shaitans and the evil and the devils. And from the whispers of the shaitan. And from any person who has jealousy towards me. So listen to what he says. Qul. Say. So the Quran is to be recited. To be read. Similarly, I heard one scholar give a very good example. He says, imagine you go to the doctor. And he prescribes for you a medicine. A tablet. And he says to you, take it after meals. This means three, four times a day. So instead, what do you do? You go and wrap it up in a piece of leather and you hang it around your neck. Panadol around your neck. You'll never get cured. So similarly with the Qur'an and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best, what we cannot go back in authenticity to the Prophet we are better to stay away from it. Yes, I know some shaykhs do this and they do have their opinion. Alhamdulillah, I'm not going to degrade any of the shaykhs who do so. This is their view and I respect their view. But this is also the view which, which I am upon and majority of the scholars are really upon, past and present. Yani. It makes more sense according to the dalil and the evidence that we have. Uh, but what we're focusing on are the idols. That's something else. That's a different area. It's nothing to be too concerned about. But to be concerned about is this, these amulets that people wear. It doesn't matter what it is. Even those who re- read horoscopes, you know, now it's become a fashion. <laughs> it's become a fashion. It's a fashion for teenagers that talk about the horoscope. And a teenager who doesn't, especially among girls, who doesn't know her horoscope, she's weird. Right? She's weird. When horoscopes were actually invented by weird people, you know, the people who, the sorcerers from, uh, you know, from, from uh, imaginary uh, magic books and things like Harry Potter and stuff, that type of image. Okay, imagine someone walking around the streets looking like that. Yeah? wearing big skulls around his neck and things like that. 
they're the weird people and these horoscopes came from these types of people. And what, what do we do? We look at other people as weird because they don't know their horoscope. So horoscope is just basically telling you your life or whatever, what you represent based on the year, that you, the month that you're born in, which is actually a Christian calendar as well. Uh, knock on wood. Knock on wood. We know about that one. People do it. Even atheists who don't even believe in a God or anything, knock on wood. Don't believe in God. No, no, that doesn't make sense. But knock on wood makes sense to them. I don't know how. Knock on wood, or to prevent harm. So knock on wood, this is actually a belief system, it's a religion. Touch wood, knock on wood, all the same. Yeah, they're all the same. I don't know what else they're going to make up still. Um, some people in the past, there's a new religion, and excuse me for saying this, uh, they worship the male genitals. And they believe the male genitals prevents harm. So now you go into their home and they've got statues of male genitals inside their home. And they say, please prevent harm from us. So this is, an, I don't know what else they're going to come up with. So anything, anything, you left it in open, tamima, any type of amulet, any type of whatever you want to make up, even if it's a breeze, even if it's a cloud, some people choose their own star, their own cloud, their own whatever. Horoscopes and, and astrology is based on star signs and all that stuff. And this is exactly the time of Ibrahim salam, which we're going to mention today, since we're talking about it. He went to Syria and he found the people who were worshipping stars. Every person will grab a star, or they'll, or they'll, or they'll grab a, a group of stars, and they'd worship them. they call them gods, and they give them names. It actually began there, in Hashem, in Syria. And today, astrology is based on that. Star signs and horoscopes and astrology is based on a belief system. This was actually a religion which existed at the time of Ibrahim salam. Clusters of stars here, clusters, and each one's got a name. And Greek theology, Greek, had these stars as gods. They called them gods. God of what Venus and uh, all those other names, and Mars and, and so on and so forth. Mazda, Mazda, the name of the car Mazda, is named after a Zoroastrian god. Zoroastrians were people who basically... Uh, they sort of worshipped fire, but they also had many other gods. And one of them was Mazda. Mazda is a god of, of Zoroastrians. And they also worship stars as well. So these are forbidden in Islam. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions about them in the Quran. Those who follow the star signs and nujum. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, كَذَبَ الْمُنَجِّمُونَ وَلَوْ صَدَقُوا This hadith is in Muslim. كَذَبَ الْمُنَجِّمُونَ وَلَوْ صَدَقُوا Those who read star signs and tell you of your future based on that, are liars, even if they happen to make one or two, they fluke one or two, and they get it right. That's what happens to people. So these people of Ibrahim salam, that's what happened to them. They'd come and worship an idol, and that same morning or that same day, they'd go and do their business day, and they get a profitable day. Another man would get a bad day. But then he'd come to this person and says, what's this idol? Did nothing to me. The other person would say to him, but look, I pray to this God today. And look what I got. Maybe you pray to the wrong God. So, and so they talk to each other like that and they build up their own, their own assumptions in their heads. And this is exactly how it happens today. Any person now, I guarantee you, okay, you want to make a business, you want to become a millionaire? Alright, if you want to become a millionaire, I know a way, but it will cost you your hereafter. It will cost you your whole deen. Or obviously no one will do that. Just make up any religion you want. Make up an idea. Wallahi, it doesn't matter. You don't have to think about it much. Just take five minutes, think of something, anything. <laughs> Which, ask your little son or daughter, tell me something and just take it on board. And start advertising it. Wallahi, you'll have followers. I swear by Allah, you'll have followers. What, is it better than the, uh, what is it? Um, 
Scientology. What is that? Subhanallah, about a spaceship coming. And people actually committed suicide. They waited. Remember that a few years back when they put it? People committed suicide. They waited in this uh, house and they all uh, committed suicide and died for these spaceship aliens to come and take them. You've got people who worship the female genitals. People who worship the cow. You know, people who worship because they say life comes out of it, milk pure comes out of it. La ilaha illallah. What causes this? So people who worship trees, people who worship leaves, people who worship people. And uh, subhanallah, they worship anything they like. People who worship themselves, their own desires. So all of these superstitious beliefs are based on idolatry, are based on shirk. Even when you swear an oath by other than Allah. Swearing an oath, you know, we say, Wallahi, Billahi, Vallaha, Billahi. This is in Turkish, right? Uqsimu Billah. This is an oath which can only be done by Allah. So when a person swears by their mother's grave, or their by grandfather, or they swear by a pious man, or they swear by the Prophet you know, when Nabi, or they swear by their honor. We have in, in Arabic, they swear by the mustache. <laughs> I swear by my mustache, because mustache is meant to represent honor. Or, by my honor, I swear by my honor. Allahu Akbar, this is shirk. Rasul said, this is in Bukhari and Muslim as well. All these hadiths are 100% authentic. And you can just look them up and you'll find them in, under the book of Tawheed. And Rasul said, Man kana halifan, Whoever is going to swear an oath, let them swear an oath by Allah alone or let them be silent. Let them be silent. Also another authentic hadith. Whoever swears by other than Allah, he, has, he or she has committed shirk. And these are all based on what? These are idolaters. All those who worship idols, this is what they used to do. They used to swear oaths by these statues, by Hubal, by Allat, by Wad, by Suwa', by Yaghuth, Ya'uq, Nasr, all these different names that they had. They swear an oath by them. Christians swear an oath by Jesus. You know when they say, Jesus Christ, what are they saying? Oh Jesus, help me. Oh Jesus, I swear by you. So when a Muslim says, Jesus Christ, you've got to understand what you're actually saying here. You're not just saying a name, there is a connotation to it. You're swearing oath by this prophet. Or you are calling upon him for help, for assistance. When Allah says, you should only call upon Allah. Rasul once had Ibn Abbas behind him. He was very young at that time, a boy, probably seven or eight years old or nine. And he said to him, Ya, and he said to him, Ya Ghulam, O young boy, You keep Allah in your mind, Allah will keep you preserved with him. Always keep Allah in your conscience, meaning know that Allah is always watching you and there for you and keep Him in your heart. Allah will protect you. Know that if all the human beings and all the jinns were to gather together to harm you with something which Allah has not decreed for you, they cannot harm you with even the slightest bit. Uh, did I say first? Benefit you and now harm you? And if they're all, to all gathered to benefit you, to harm you in some way, which Allah has, has not given permission to harm you in any way, they cannot harm you. 
جفت الأقلام وطويت الصحف. The pen, the ink of the drain of the pen has dried, and the uh, tablets have been closed. In other words, what Allah has decreed has decreed, and nothing can change it. Whatever decisions you're going to make, Allah already knows it. If anyone wants to harm you, they cannot unless Allah wills it. Anyone wants to benefit, no one can do that unless Allah wills it. In other words, call upon Allah. And he says, If you ask, then ask only Allah. And if you are to seek refuge, seek refuge only in Allah. Meaning in things that human beings can't do. So you're allowed to say to the doctor, please help me. But in your heart, you believe that it is Allah who helps you. And without him, the doctor cannot help you. But because Allah has given the ability to the doctor to know what the medicine is in certain circumstances, you can. We say to your friend, come and help me. We're not talking about that. We're talking about things that are beyond human abilities. And even when you ask someone, you know in your heart that they cannot help you unless Allah willed it for them to be able to help you. So we're not talking about that. But when you direct your attention to an amulet or to a piece of material you hang up on the wall or something you wrap around your arm or something you carve into, whatever, then this is shirk, my dear brothers and sisters. It's a shirk. Or in some kind of a movement like knocking or touching wood or some people believe the opposite. You spill salt and you walk over it or something like that or throwing salt behind your back or looking to a mirror at night and breaking a mirror and oh, all these other superstitions. This is all shirk, ya akhwan, Because let me tell you the wood issue. This is a belief system that was based on a, a civilization who believed that when people died, if they were good spirits, their spirits resided in the trees of the forests. So they used to go and hang their weaponry and their clothing and stuff on trees. And they used to seek blessings from the trees. Because they believe the spirits of good people are inside of them. So then it evolved and over time, people began to believe that wood has a special power. So they say to you, knock on wood or touch wood to prevent harm. You understand? You see where this... Okay, we need to understand the origins of things, brothers and sisters. And this is why Allah constantly, throughout the whole Qur'an, three quarters of the Qur'an is about stories of prophets, stories of messengers. And all of it starts off with a common basis, which is Tawheed and Shirk. You'll find that everything, all the wrongdoers, all the different paths were based on Tawheed and Shirk. So Ibrahim salam was among Ulil Azm who went against such a great thing. So they put him in the catapult and they said, Harriquuhu. They said, burn him and save your gods. Allah, a god needs to be saved by a human being who he has created. How? Save your gods. What they meant, of course, was save your gods. As in, don't let this person ruin the minds of the people and make them disbelieve in our gods. But again, that's in the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You don't kill or burn people or force them into a religion that they don't belong to. Or you silence someone from saying the truth. Listen to what they have to say. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also said in relation to us and the children of, of the, the people of the book, the Jews and the Christians. Qul ta'alaw. Call them, come. Ta'alaw ila kalimatin sawa. To a, a word that is common between us that we worship none other but Allah. And let's debate on that which is reasonable. Ibrahim alayhi salam did that. What did they do? Burn him. Get rid of him. So what happened? They threw him into the fire. We mentioned last week that the fire was as high as, or the wood itself was as high as three-story buildings, our Mufassirun say. And the fire, Allahu A'lam, it was so high that 
it took a person about half a kilometer to stay away from the fire. Otherwise, if it went any closer, it will burn from the heat. So it was a huge fire because they wanted to make a statement to the whole of their country, of the world. As they threw him, it is stated in the tafsir that Jibreel salam and Mikael came to him saying, can we do anything to help you? And he would say the following words. Hasbi Allah wa ni'mal wakil. Enough for me is Allah and he is the best to rely upon. I don't need Jibreel salam, I don't need Mikael, I don't need all of you. I only need Allah. In this circumstance, I call upon Allah. And this is the greatest test. Allah did test Ibrahim salam over and over and over again. The test can be to check whether you, your iman is true or deliberately to make you rise higher and higher so you become a better example for others. Allah knew that Ibrahim salam passed every test, but he makes him as an example for us. So Ibrahim said, Hasbi Allah wa ni'mal wakil. Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Hasbi Allah wa ni'mal wakil. Qalaha Ibrahim indama ulqiya finna. Enough Allah is for me and, what, and the best one to rely upon is he. Ibrahim said this dua when he was thrown in the fire. Then Allah mentions in the Quran, Qulna ya naru kuni wa salaman ala Ibrahim. We said to the fire, Allah said, We said to the fire, O fire, be cool and peaceful on Ibrahim. Our scholars, obviously, they're amazing in Arabic. They said, If Allah had, Ibn Abbas, عنه, he says this, and our scholars narrate him. He said, Ibn Abbas, one of the greatest mufassirun of the Quran, Rasul made a dua for him when he was a child. Allah He said, Oh Allah, endure him with great knowledge. And so the Sahabas used to come to him for tafsir. Among them was Muawiyah Just before I finish the story, Muawiyah once was reciting through the Quran and he came to Abin Abbas. Now we know of Muawiyah, he was an amazing poet, an amazing Arabic speaker. Amazing. Yet he was reciting an ayah in the Quran which made him flabbergasted. So he came up to Ibn Abbas and said, Ya Ibn Abbas, darabatni amwaj al-Quran al-Bariha. The oceans or the waves of the Quran hit me left, right and center. They took me everywhere. I didn't know what, what I was understanding anymore. He said, tell me. He said, I didn't know the ayah in the Quran where it says, وَذَنُّونِ إِذْ ذَهَبَ مُغَاضِمًا فَظَنَّ أَلَّا نَقْدِرَ عَلَيْهِ And when the noon Yunus alayhi salam went away from his people, angry at them, and he assumed that we will not be able upon him. Now that's literally translated as that way in English. So Muawiyah said, what do you mean? Didn't Yunus believe that Allah will be able against him? Hasn't got enough power against him? Ibn Abbas clarified it to him and says, here naqdir comes from the meaning of qadr, not qudra. Qadr means decree, fate. That Allah will not decree to punish him. Muawiyah understood it in the meaning of Qudra, which means power. Allah will not have power over him. So Ibn Abbas clarified it to Muawiyah, a great Arabic linguistician. And here Ibn Abbas, a great Mufassir whom the Prophet ﷺ made dua for. He says about Ibrahim salam, about this ayah, about Allah saying to the fire, he said, if Allah said, 
O fire, be cool on Ibrahim. Without saying peaceful, the fire would have frozen him. Allahu Akbar. Fire can freeze. Because Allah is the one who made fire to burn, He can make the fire to freeze. Isn't that right? And if He said, but, but rather Allah said, O fire, be cool and peaceful on Ibrahim. So this was the decree of Allah. Allah says in the Quran, We, everything, have created it in absolute intricate proportion. When Allah created us, everything is, in, is perfectly estimated. So if you were to get sick, it's estimated that you will get sick this way. If human beings have a certain weakness, it's estimated this is our weakness. If we have a certain strength, it's estimated this is how much strength we'll have. This is how Allah, everything is deliberately placed in this world, intricately measured. So when Allah said to the fire, cool and peaceful, He is intricately measuring how the fire should be. And the fire obeyed. And the fire obeyed. Because Allah says in the Quran, There isn't anything on earth, there isn't anything, Allah says, not on earth, there isn't anything except that it glorifies the name of Allah, meaning it worships Him, obeys Him, but you cannot understand their glorification. The rocks, the sun, the moon, the fire, the water, everything, except for two types of creations, they are given the option. The humans and the jinns. We have a choice to rebel or to obey. That's why you see the world is in harmony. A lion never changes his habitat. doesn't say one day I feel like becoming a vegetarian today. Find it in the cartoons, yes. In their imagination. You know when they do something like that about lions becoming vegetarians or whatever? The only thing I think is that they're trying to promote homosexuality. They're trying to say that, you know, be different, it's okay. Even out of natural, even out of your natural norm. Wallahi, this is my theory and I think it's right. Anyway, Ibrahim salam was thrown into the fire. Rasul sallallahu alayhi said that only or was it the companions of an Abbas? I, I don't recall. However, only the ropes that he was tied with were burnt off. And Ibrahim salam was free inside the fire. There are different narrations on how long he stayed in the fire. But they say it was a very long time until the fire became extinguished completely. And some say a few days and then Ibrahim salam walked out of the fire in front of the people who were watching. Either way, he did not burn. And the Prophet ﷺ tells us that Ibrahim salam said, I have never had a more blissful, blissful and most relaxing moment than the day I was, in, I was thrown in the fire. Some narrations tell us that Allah made a fountain of water and fruits such as grapes to be available for him in the fire to eat and drink. Some narrations say that. Nothing is hard upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ibrahim alayhi salam exited from the fire before the eyes of the people, those who did watch him. 
And the only one who believed and, and maintained his belief was Lot alayhi salam. Allah says, فَآمَنَ لَهُ لُوتٍ Only Lot alayhi salam kept believing in him. Lot alayhi salam never worshipped idols, but he believed in him, and he believed in this miracle, and no one else did. All those who saw him, they called it magic. This is what they always used to resort to, by the way. Why not? From a people who worship superstitions, obviously they're going to think this is magic. Isn't that right? They believe in things even worse. I mean, more unbelievable than that. Except for Allah, they won't believe in Him. Except for a hereafter, they won't believe in Him. Except for Jannah and heaven, and except, that, that, except as a messenger of Allah, they won't believe in La ilaha illallah. So, they said Sahara. Now there was a king by the name of Namrud. And Namrud was the king of that region. And he heard about this man, this young man, Ibrahim. Young, youthful man, Ibrahim. Teenager. 17, 18, 20 years old, something like that. And he called Ibrahim to his presence. Now, this is just before Ibrahim السلام, migrated from this place of Kufr to another place. Just before that. And Namrud called him to his presence. And he wanted to challenge him with his belief. So Namrud, which also literally means uh, the arrogant one, he said to Ibrahim, السلام, and this is mentioned in the Quran, without the name of Namrud, who is your God? He said, Rabbi, Rabbi alladhi yuhyi wa yumit. This is in the Quran. He said, my Lord is the one who brings life and causes death. Brings life and death. He said, the king, I can also give life and give death. He said, how? He said, watch. He brought in two of his slaves, captives. And he brought his the, uh, the, the executioner. He said to him, kill this slave and free this slave. So he killed one and left one alive. He said, see, I killed and I kept alive. <laughs> now obviously, Ibrahim, this is not what Ibrahim salam meant. He meant the origin of life and the origin of death. Meaning Allah can return from life and turn from life to death and death to life. Meaning, you, O Namrud, cannot prevent death if it's going to happen. And you cannot decide what kind of new life is going to be there. This is already life. You haven't made it live. It's already living. You just didn't kill it. And this one, you killed it. Okay, but death has already been decreed. Try and prevent death from anyone. Try and prevent yourself from death. That's what he meant. Yeah. But no one can prevent death. And no one can bring new life without the means of the ways that Allah had given us, such as getting married and intercourse and such a thing. Or planting a seed and letting Allah do the course of the rain and fertilizer and everything. Now Ibrahim salam didn't bother arguing more into that. And this is the wise scholars. When they see that someone is arrogantly, and you know, he knows what you mean, but he's trying to play with philosophy. Huh? He doesn't bother with that argument. It's going to lead him nowhere. So he went to a stronger argument immediately. What did he say? He said, 
subhanAllah. I'll say it in English. The meaning of, so my Lord brings out the sun from where it rises, so you make it bring out, so you bring the sun out from where it sits. Why don't you do the opposite? I'm telling you that I have a Lord you cannot see, and He exists, and He makes this sun come out from where it rises. You change it. If you're a God, make it come out from where it sits. Change it. Now, Allah says, فَبُهِتَ الَّذِي كَفَرُ The one who disbelieved, buhit, he was silenced. If you say you're a God, you should be able to do it. Because that's what you're claiming. Based on your claim, do it. Because only a God can do it. Since you showed me how you can bring life and death, that's your argument, okay. Per se, I believe that you can bring life and death. Since you can do such a great miracle, then bring out the sun from where it sits. Otherwise, my God is stronger than you. He couldn't do anything. So he told him, get out of here. Because Al-Namrud was afraid that he might change his mind as well. And he used to call himself a god. So Ibrahim salam left. And his father kicked him out. And we know last week what we said, Ibrahim salam maintained his niceness to his father no matter what. And he took his nephew. Did I say nephew? Okay, sorry. Lot was not his nephew, he was his first cousin. He was the, um, his uncle's son. And he took him with him and they migrated from the place of Kufr to the place where they can find that they can worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. A Muslim, a believer, if where they live prevent them from worshipping Allah like there are laws against them and there is uh, everything against them preventing them from worshipping Allah then it's haram for them to remain in that land they must migrate and this migration is called Al-Hijratu Fi Sabilillah this is one of the forms of jihad to migrate for the sake of Allah like what the Prophet Muhammad did when he migrated from Mecca to Medina when there was no chance anymore of practicing your deen properly so alhamdulillah, here we have our masjids for example, we can practice, we can preach our deen. Alhamdulillah, so far, so good. But if it came to a stage where we are prevented from practicing our deen, then migration becomes the first option for us. We don't want to harm anyone. We don't force anyone to the deen. Allah says in the Quran, لا إكراه في الدين There is no compulsion in religion. The truth is clear from the false. We are allowed to protect ourselves, defend ourselves, but we don't start wars and we migrate to a place where we can practice our deen. So Ibrahim salam took his cousin and migrated from Babylonia to Syria.